Dad the Man, the guy who's living life the right way by loving and leading his family. World class at his craft and admired by many, but more importantly, he sets the tone for what a great man, husband, and father looks like. That's who Dad the Man is. And the truth is, as men, husbands, and fathers, we experience and struggle with so many of the same things. And it's time we recognize that we're all in this together. So drop your ego at the door and join us in the conversation. Welcome to Dad the Man. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Dad the Man podcast. My name is Brendan Wall, and I am your host. And today, I am also your guest. Yep, it is time again for another solo episode. So thank you for tuning in. So today, I do have another ask for you. Um, If you are enjoying the show, if you learn anything today, or uh, if you take anything away from this episode, please do me a huge favor and just tell someone about the show. Help us share the show. Help us share a mission, whether that's telling telling a friend at work or telling somebody on social media. Um, I cannot thank you enough for your support. So today's episode is going to be a little bit different. Uh, it's a little bit heavy, and it's going to be a little bit long-winded right off the bat, but, uh, but we're going to go deep on the back end. So bear with me, and we will get there. So today's episode... Is titled Thoughts of a Dying Man. So Tim Tinsley, he was a man, he was a husband, he was a father. As his obituary reads, he was the kind of Christian that made others want to be Christians. He was the lead pastor at First Presbyterian Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was a man's man, a great model of true Christian masculinity. He was a breath of fresh air and had the most infectious laugh I'd ever heard. And if for some reason you said you didn't like Tim, well, you just uh, you you were not going to get the benefit of the doubt. Trust me. My Angelo famously said, "At the end of the day, people won't remember what you said or did; they will remember how you made them feel." And this quote always makes me think of Tim, because I didn't spend a ton of time with him, but I do remember the effect that he had on me and how joyful he always made me feel. So Tim married Leslie and I, and prior to doing so, he led us in pre-marriage counseling. I mean, he offered me the best marriage advice I've ever received. We'll get into that in another episode. But one of my favorite memories of Tim uh, was from my wedding day. The doors are just about to open, and uh, I'm standing up there with Tim. It's just me and him. The doors open. Leslie and her dad start walking down the aisle, and uh, and I'm just about to start crying. And, and Tim stands there, and he elbows me right in the ribs, and he laughs a little, just gives me a little giggle, and says, wow, isn't she gorgeous? And it just gave me uh, just a little bit of com- comedic relief that uh, that I needed to avoid the inevitable po- inevitable public tears. Tim baptized my kids, which thanks to my unconsolable three-year-old at the time was quite the scene for the congregation to watch that day. Uh, but he handled it with grace and humor and kept two embarrassed parents at ease. What I loved about Tim was his appreciation for life, which was evidenced by how he embraced every single moment to connect with other people and pour joy into other people. He always seemed to be hyper-present, his head and his heart always present where his feet stood. You could literally feel it when you talked to him. Like I said, I didn't know Tim all that well, and I didn't get to spend that much time with him, but he sure did make an impact on me in the moments that we shared together. This past January, Tim died after a nearly two-year battle with cancer. Physically, the battle tested him and depleted him, but spiritually, it somehow seemed to strengthen him. And I say that because from his deathbed, he wrote a series of journals titled Thoughts of a Dying Man. So reading the now immortalized thoughts of a man knowing he was at the end of his life, it's equal parts humbling and inspiring. But the real beauty of Tim's writings 
is this abundance of peace and joy that seemed to be present with him in his final days. So today, I'm going to read the final entry that Tim wrote in his Thoughts of a Dying Man series. To me, it is so deep and so pure, and, and after reading it countless times, I believe that everyone needs to hear it. It'll take a few minutes to read it, but out of respect for him and the integrity of his message, I am not going to paraphrase <clears throat> a thing. So bear with me, and we'll break it down at the end. So this entry was written on January 1st, 2021, just 30 days before his passing. Thoughts of a Dying Man, Part 3. Two sleeps, and then we will be home. Recently, I heard a mother tell her child that they would be going home soon. The child responded, when? To which mom replied, we will be home in two sleeps. The phrase two sleeps for this family meant in two days. Numbering your days is a moving target now, isn't it? How does a six-month-old count her days as compared with a 16-year-old, a 30-year-old, a 60-year-old, a 90-year-old? Universally speaking, mankind for the most part uses a calendar. Our calendars are generally based on the birth of Jesus, the Son of God, and Savior of his people. By our calendar measuring time, numbering days is usually a sun-up to sundown endeavor. Here's how I am marking my days. Wake up around 3 or 4 a.m., and then each subsequent half hour due to thirst, Mondays are usually horrible days of pain and bloating due to fluid buildup in my abdominal cavity. The cause? We don't know. Maybe it's caused by more tumors popping up within my digestive system. Or maybe it's caused by the blood clot that I have in my portal vein. But by Monday, the hand-to-hand combat has become a tangible, in-your-face reality. Tuesday is a big day. I usually try to move as little as possible due to pain caused from the bloating. First, Laura or one of my family members drives me over to see our dear friend and oncologist as we receive his amazing love and counsel, as well as our medical testing and blood work. Then we head to prime imaging for my paracentesis procedure, which drains the fluid from my abdominal cavity. It isn't pleasant, but it is a lot better than letting the fluid build. By the way, the staff there is amazing. They are kind, professional, and exceptionally gifted at their jobs. This week, they removed six plus liters from my abdomen, which is over 12 pounds. I go in weighing 171 and come out weighing 159 or so. 18 months ago, I weighed as much as 240. 240 is definitely overweight for me, but to lose 80 pounds is completely debilitating. When feeling lightheaded, I make sure to steady myself each time I stand up so that I don't faint and fall. Wednesday is a day of pain relief thanks to the paracentesis, yet it is also a day of exhaustion. The paracentesis takes away fluid that is rich in protein so that each time I am drained, that protein heads out with it. I'm usually able to eat a meal without nausea as my stomach finally has room to expand out into the space where the fluid previously occupied. Wednesday is the day that I feel clear-minded enough to start this article that I will hopefully complete tomorrow. Thursday is the best day in that there is both an absence of intense pain along with hardly any nausea. With my strength returning and my appetite activating, my food transforms from a want to a must. So Thursday is probably the best day of the week. I've been surprised over these 18 months since diagnosis how the loss of appetite, and for someone who loves food and drink as much as I do, is quite disappointing. I was living for food and loving it. I don't think that it is a sin to pursue delicious food and drink as long as we are not excessive or abusive to our bodies, and we honor Christ above all things. But Thursday is the day where I see shades of my old appetite and sense of humor. I now have a quite bland personality due to my meds. But on Thursday, I've been known to tell a story or joke or to make a funny statement. Also, on many of these days, I'm able to get some work done by calling to dialogue with my disciples, deep meditation and prayer for a lost word, responding to correspondence from around the globe, writing letters and articles, and sharing God's love to medical personnel that God places in my path. 
People have been so open to the gospel and respectful of me. I think that some people are making themselves more genuinely available because they know that I am dying soon. Friday has arrived with a literal morning moan as the fluid is coming back. As I roll over in my bed onto my other side, the lower right side of my liver will yell at me to stop. It is too painful to rest on the left side due to the fluid beginning to build up around my liver. Friday is usually a manageable day as, I, as long as I take my pain pills. I take pain pills each and every day, sometimes less, sometimes more. There is no possible way for me to endure this without taking pain pills. Thank the Lord for pain pills and especially the ones that have a few side effects. I just could not go on without them. Saturday is more Friday. Swelling and discomfort is on the rise. When I eat, or is it safer to say, if I eat, the food has nowhere to go. My organs are beginning to be compressed. Sunday starts the royal battle for relief. Fluid continues to increase. Bloating throughout the abdomen is visually noticeable, and I don't want to eat. Breathing becomes more difficult as the lungs are being restricted and compressed. I've lost not just muscle tone, but the actual muscle tissue itself is also gone. Cancer eats first and has an insatiable appetite. Cancer will eat the nutrients of our food before our body even gets a chance. And if I don't eat enough to satisfy the cancer, then it eats my muscles. So large amounts of my muscles are gone. It's a grotesque picture of a body that is skin and bones, except for a protruding abdominal area. You might think of historic pictures of those who are starved. I'm thankful that I won't need this body for much longer because it is not working very well. Also, on Sunday, our Sabbath, we worship by listening to an online service together as a family. Sometimes our family will listen to one of my sermons. Now we are back to Monday, and I find myself incredibly thankful for my super loving family. Amazing, just amazing, the way that they love me and serve me no matter what the need is. Also the men and women in the medical field who lovingly practice their God-given call to heal and bring relief as they promote life. The tenacity and tenderness with which my doctors and nurses practice their craft is astounding. I can't tell you the number of times I have left a doctor's office or internal imagery facility praising God for these dear folks. They have their own battles, yet they set them aside in order to compassionately try to cure us. We, quite literally, could not go on without their help. And then I think of our great God, who is the source of all life. Apart from God, nothing would exist. In fact, nothing does exist apart from God. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You know, time must pass differently for an eternal being. That God is an all-knowing being means that he knows all things, all at the same time. The Bible tells us that God is infinite, eternal, and immutable. God has no beginning nor ending. God always was, always is, and is to always be. Oh, how God is here for us as he loves his children. His love for his children is eternal and that it has no beginning nor ending. He walks with us, suffers with us, and participates in all of our activities. Of course, God is with us because he is omnipresent. But I mean more than that. God is with believers in Christ in a very special way. The Holy Spirit actually indwells us. So as Christians, we have God all around us, but also within us. Wow. God within you and me, spirit literally talks with us all day, but especially as we read and meditate on his word. True talk with God. A recent prayer request posted at one of the many churches that prays for me said, 1230, Tim Tinsley, God's parents every Tuesday. It isn't really too far off to think about God doing everything for me since I have no life apart from Jesus. But as for now, I'm the one getting the weekly parasynthesis, not God. 
It is said that we can never step into the same river twice, as the water is moving and not stationary. It seems that the same could be said about life, as each day is a new day in and of itself. Each night begins a new day, according to Genesis 1. Genesis 1.5, God called the light day and the darkness he called night, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. If we think about it, sleeping is like a mini version of a Christian's death. We place our trust in God each evening when we rest our head on our pillow and close our eyes to sleep, yet with the hope that we will awaken renewed. We have to trust in God or in something that gives us enough peace to fall asleep with a confidence that we will awaken. I hope that doesn't ruin your sleep now. You may start thinking about it as you try to rest tonight. The Bible teaches that Christians breathe their last breath on earth and then we immediately enter the presence of the Lord in our spirit as our bodies are no longer our place of residence. Our bodies have completed their temporary purposes and are committed to the earth. So how many sleeps will you have before going home? What does your life look like in between your sleeps? Prayerfully decide how you want to use your time, then intentionally place those items in your weekly schedule. You may be surprised how living an intentional life really does focus us on our priorities. It's hard to die a good death if one hasn't lived a good life. In his grip, Tim. Man, how powerful is that question? How many sleeps will you have before going home? I'm not sure if I've mentioned it on this show yet in any of the interviews that we've done so far, but but thanks to Tim's encouragement in this this letter, this Thoughts of a Dying Man, I, I often visualize this. I visualize what it would be like to sit on my own deathbed, knowing that my time was just about out. And you may hear that, and you may think that I am a crazy person, but you know, although it's difficult, this visualization has the power to immediately put life into perspective. It snaps priorities into place in an instant. And it always shocks me awake to appreciate the finity of life. And it's in this visualization, you know, I believe that there's two ends of the spectrum. There's, there's peace and there's regret. And most emotions, reactions, you know, if, when you sit down and, and you face that and you imagine your own mortality, most of the emotions that surface will probably fall to one side of that spectrum, peace or regret. So let me encourage you to do this. Consider it now. Imagine that you're on your deathbed and you, you have the opportunity to reflect on your life and consider these questions and see what bubbles up. Are you confident in your faith, your salvation? Are there things that you wish you had done? Maybe there's people you wish you had spent more time with or maybe even people you wish you had spent less time with. Did you leave anything unsaid that you wish you had said? Maybe it's a thank you. Maybe it's an I love you. Maybe it's I'm, and I'm proud of you. Did you take the chances that you wanted to take? Did you take those risks that you, could, that you felt yourself called to take? Or did you let the opinions of others water you down? Did you love your wife the way that you vowed to? Did you love and raise your kids with everything that you've got? Now, if you knew that your clock had run out or was about to run out, and you didn't have the chance to do anything else, and you consider these questions, what do you feel? Do you feel peace or do you feel regret? And if you feel some degree of regret, that's okay. Consider that the point of this whole exercise. That means you have identified the soft spot, and that can be a good thing if you let it be, but don't let it scare you. Instead, let that inspire you. Let it inspire you to live the way you've been called to live with the times you have left. Let it inspire you to turn your heart towards God to know his voice, to love his people, to steward his resources, to vessel his vision. Let it inspire you to fight for your marriage and date your wife and make it damn sure known to her that you don't take her for granted. 
Let it inspire you to be patient with your kids and to read that extra book at bedtime and to never be too tired to play with them and fight like hell for their future. Let it inspire you to stand your ground and fight for what you believe in. Let it inspire you to send that text to someone or to check on someone or to let someone know that you're thinking about them or to say sorry or whatever it is. Let it inspire you to take that chance that you know that you've been called to take and that you will regret if you don't. Let it inspire you to not care so damn much about the opinions of all these people that you don't even like and that you know won't be there with you in the end anyway. You know, what I've learned from reflecting on Tim's message is that the best way to avoid these regrets is to pursue peace. And the best way to pursue peace that I've found is by doing the things that I just mentioned. So again, you may think I'm crazy, that I'm sitting around here thinking that I'm going to die one day, but the rea- like that doesn't change the reality. You know, I would rather tr- visualize this now and course correct now and live the life that God called me to live now rather than realize that I missed the point of my own life once it's too late and have my last conscious feeling on earth be one of shame or regret. I choose to pursue peace, and I hope that you'll do the same. But, you know, it's, it's, it's human nature for us to try to avoid things that are hard. Our brains are hardwired to survive, so it's natural to want to avoid something like this. And yes, imagining being face-to-face with the end of your life, it's hard. Imagining that you're leaving people behind on this earth without you, like that's hard to do. But hard isn't bad. And if you're listening now and you won't even give this a try, then you're, you're consciously deciding to remain willf- willfully ignorant. However, it's important that we recognize that ignorance is not bliss. And in this scenario, it's risking a life of regret. But if you are listening to this right now, then it's not too late. So I encourage you to let any single ounce of regret or shame that you feel, if you do this, let it fuel you to seize the opportunity to pursue the peace that we're talking about here. You know, when I read Tim's letter, and I probably read it, you know, 10, 12 times at this point, I'm still amazed and I'm inspired by the contrast that's in this letter between the physical circumstances and his inner peace. You know, he's face-to-face with his own mortality, and he's, he's living this. Yet he cannot stop thanking those around him and praising God. Tim sat and he suffered in physical pain on what he knew was his deathbed. But he certainly wasn't alone, as he references the constant support and attention from his wife, from his family, from his friends. And I'd have to imagine that he spent some time reflecting on his life and, and you know, how he spent the time that he had here on earth. You know, the memories that he shared with the loved ones that stood around him, his faith, his salvation. I'd have to imagine he considered all things, all these things. And despite the physical pain and terminal certainty of his situation, he was able to sit down and write something with his last dashes of physical and mental ability so pure and peaceful and gracious. I mean, I, I, I just cannot think of a better gift that we could possibly give our future selves. To have lived a life that we are at peace with and proud of in the days before our death. Because like Tim said, it's hard to die a good death if you haven't lived a good life. So how's that for a call to action from Tim? So if you take nothing else away from Tim's final thoughts, remember this. One day, we too will die. And we don't know when that day will be. The stresses, the worries, the bills, the promotions, the trophies, the wins, the losses, the material things, they'll fade in an instant. And all we'll really leave behind are the moments and the memories that we shared with other people. So if you haven't turned your heart to God, I encourage you to do it. And I encourage you to do it now. And if you really want to provide for your family, if you really want to leave them with what they will want and need when you are gone, if you really want to leave a legacy, then prioritize them now. 
Be present with them now and do everything you can right now to create the moments and memories that you will one day leave them with. It's funny to think how the ambition to die a good death can inspire us to live a great life. But it does, doesn't it? All right, everybody. That's it. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, do me a huge favor and subscribe to the show or leave us a rating and review. We can't thank you enough for your support. Until next time, remember to love and lead from the front. See you.